0: Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on each episode of this podcast I have inspiring conversations with passionate product people. Now, I know you and I may have only just started dating in podcast terms, or maybe you're an old flame, but by the end of this episode I'd appreciate it if you could go and hit subscribe on your favourite podcast app and share with your friends so they can be inspired too. On tonight's episode we talk about taking a passion for product and product-led growth and a history of community building and event management Mixing it all up and creating the Product Led Alliance. We talk about what the Product Led Alliance is, how it defines product led growth, some of the challenges of running a community in lockdown, some of the early successes, and the plans for the future. We also shockingly hear of a potential rival podcast. I get an invitation to go on, and I get terrified of having to actually justify myself to someone else for a change. For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So my guest tonight is Heather James, multiple marathon runner, former fitness instructor and competitive cheerleader, now turning her cheerleading skills to promoting product-led growth as a founder of the Product-Led Alliance, a collective of passionate product-led leaders committed to sharing product-led growth success stories, experiences and challenges. Hi Heather, how are you tonight?
1: Hi Jason, I'm very well, thank you. How
0: are you? I am fantastic. First things first, aside from the headline, which I just read from your uh, website, who are Product-Led Alliance?
1: Um, The Product-Led Alliance is a digital community for product people who specifically are passionate about product-led growth. We've got loads of resources online, and don't worry, this isn't going to be like a mini pitch, elevator pitch, but yeah, resources, articles, blogs, templates, articles, frameworks, things like that. And most recently in, in 2020, we've also been hosting virtual events. The plan in 2019, towards the end of 2019, was to host some in-person events, but obviously um, COVID-19 torpedoed those plans. I know that there's um, you know, that there's a lots of product communities. There's some really awesome ones out there, and we're not unique in focusing on product-led growth. The thing that I do think makes us unique is that we're really inclusive. Quite often, product-led growth communities focus on B2B SaaS, um, which isn't wrong. That's kind of the industry in the market that's pioneered, PLG. But there's lots of kind of legacy industries and organizations who are also trying to become more product led. And while they might not follow kind of the key some of the core things that people associate with product-led growth, like freemium models and, and free trials and um things such as this, there's still the desire and the kind of impetus to make the product more front and center of strategy and to position it more as a driver of growth. So we try to include Multiple industries, legacy industries, industries you wouldn't necessarily expect like hospitality and travel and retail and media and broadcasting. So that's really what I think makes us special.
0: Nice. So we'll come back a little bit to that uh, and do some follow ups on that in a minute. But before, before that, obviously, your, your background was, was very much before in kind of events management. You've, had, you've, you've done a long stint in events management before moving into, I think, portfolio management, uh, former. Was that like when you started getting into to product management and, and managing products specifically, or have you always been interested in that?
1: Um, yeah, exactly. It was during my time at Informer that my interest really got peaked with product management as I was managing kind of a portfolio of both digital and non-digital products. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say that digital product management was my strongest suit, but I started to become really kind of intrigued with the process of it, how it was a function that's not not necessarily emerging that it's digital product management isn't new but it's constantly evolving um it's something that i think is is changing all the time there's always different ways to approach it the way that b2b and b2c consumers consume is always is what well, is constantly changing so um i just thought it was a really exciting space and i actually kind of cursed my lack of natural tech ability and that i wasn't naturally I wasn't necessarily really aligned to product management and digital project management as a long-term career, but it really gave me the idea to kind of put the two things that I'm passionate about together, um, kind of events, bringing people together and sharing really like high-quality content and product management. And I kind of really became captured by the notion of product-led growth. I started reading. Um, I was already reading quite a lot of content um, in my free time because I'm a dork um, about product <laughs> management, even though it's a job I don't do. But then kind of reading the OpenView blog and, and reading about how product-led growth was you know, becoming something that investors were looking for, that it was kind of a movement and a, a kind of concept that was gathering pace. I wanted to do something that showcased that, but like I said, just something a bit more inclusive and wasn't exclusively for SaaS.
0: Do you think that in your time at Informer that they were a product-led organization or, or, or was it a bit more traditional and, and kind of sales first and, and something that you really needed to kind of scratch that itch outside of, of, of your work there
1: that's a great question um informa is absolutely not a product-led organization <laughs> um i loved my time there but yeah it's very much sales first revenue first sales people sat at the top of the pyramid followed by product and then yeah it cascaded down i'm not going to talk about the who was even lower <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll, well we'll talk about that afterwards <laughs> but obviously product led growth is very on trend these days you you've touched on that yourself and there's lots of people talking about it there's lots of people writing books about it and starting communities about it obviously you've done that yourself with uh, with your organization but why are you so passionate about product led growth as a concept what, what what does it what does it mean to you and, and and why is it so exciting
1: that's a really good question um i would say thank you <laughs> um I think product-led growth is really exciting because it is—it's forward-thinking. I think for for a very long time, um, the business world or the way that the way that organisations engage with their customers has been pretty much exclusively sales or marketing first, and I think product-led growth is moving away from that, moving away from that constant acquisition, 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 or revenue, revenue, revenue and kind of changing the dial a bit. And I think long-term it can really change the way that we kind of consume and are marketed to. And I think it changes it changes the nature of organizations internally as well. Um, coming from a company like Informa that was not product-led and that was, was very much sales-led. Like I said, I love my time there, but at times and in certain departments, it could create real toxicity. I can't believe I said that word right first time. Um, <laughs> yeah create real toxicity and um, internal fractions um, and quite often teams would end up being pitted against each other because although everyone has a common goal sometimes there'd be different ways to get there or teams would be prioritized differently for example sales would be incentivized in the best way and would have the best chance to to get commission and make revenue and quite often their incentive scheme was actually at odds with other people. So sales would be incentivized on the revenue they brought in versus marketing who'd be incentivized on gross profit. So a salesperson could go and sell a contract that for 250 grand, but then it would cost 245 grand to actually deliver. <laughs> um, and so, you know, the, the salesperson's laughing, he's taking home three percent or whatever, um, happy as Larry, and then the poor marketing person is actually not going to meet their um, you know, their commission targets because of because of the profit so i think product led can really change that can put product at front and center move away from this idea that everything has to be about revenue yes revenue is crucial companies don't survive without revenue i love money but it's um i think it can really change the way that yeah companies engage with both externally and internally as well
0: yeah it's obviously a, a typical challenge that you hear about and and certainly i've seen in the past where the misalignment of of incentives is, is a big problem, and and I've certainly seen some people even in not product led growth companies, still sales led, but trying to be more product focused, doing things like maybe paying less commission on on sales that, that aren't. Well, I guess I'm specifically talking about more where you have a like a professional services product mix or something there like that they're, they're trying to be more product focused, so they they pay less commission in, in, on non product sales and stuff like that to try and force people in. But I guess unless you have that alignment of incentives, then then you're always going to be struggling. But on that, what, what are some of the challenges that you've seen or heard about during your work of companies becoming truly product-led? Because I see it in some of the communities and some of the blog posts and other presentations that come out that not everyone seems to be sold on this stuff. Uh, they don't think it's for, right for them or they don't think it's right for their type of business. Do you think that there are any challenges to being product-led that are actually insurmountable, or do you think that anyone could do it if they just gave it enough welly and and took the right approach to it?
1: I think it kind of depends on the organisation. So if you're in a B two B SaaS scale up that's digital first, then I think you're, you might have some pain points in either scaling a product led approach, or um, if you weren't product led to begin with, but changing but changing taps, there might be some. Issues or teething problems, but essentially the problems that arise are I don't think would ever be in well, I'm not gonna say ever, would not necessarily be insurmountable. I'd say where challenges really arise, and this is what I see most within our community, is when you're from a larger organization that is, you know, longstanding, has a lot of a lot of red tape, even at your kind of product teams level, let alone creating a ripple effect that will expand to the wider organisation. Um I had a really interesting conversation with someone someone from Tesco who was from the internal product team who was developing an internal product to help the shelf stackers stack shelves more efficiently and to basically maximize their time on the floor and actually I think they mentioned that they were trying to even further accelerate it with less staff during Covid and he said at first it was really painful um the wider team of the, I don't know what the department was called, shelf stacking, let's say, um, were really not bought into it. They were like, who is product? Why are they here? We've got products. We've got Kellogg's Cornflakes on the shelf. We've got, you know, wine. We, we've already got loads of products. Why do we need more products? And didn't really get, and people would say, oh, it's digital products. And there was just this real resistance to it from kind of across the board. And they um, said that there was a real struggle. They kind of felt very demotivated and very kind of them against the world. But then once they finally released the product, and the shelf stackers saw the results, suddenly, they were kind of the heroes kind of carried out on the shoulders, because they, they, you know, delivered really positive outcomes. And it wasn't until those outcomes were seen that they kind of got the recognition that buy in. And so really long answer to your quick question was that there are lots of challenges with being product led. And it's much more challenging with your big organization. And a lot of the issues will be red tape and internal resistance. And it will take months, years, decades in some of those companies to really let the effects ripple out. And some organizations just won't change. But I think even with this Tesco example, even if in a massive organization like that you can change just your one little pod, your one little area and make that more product led, I think that's still progress.
0: So do you think that the trend that everyone's talking about at the moment is, is product led growth and putting your product at the front and center Things like freemium trials and upsells within the app, and automated onboarding, and, and all of that cool stuff. And obviously, that sounds fantastic. But what you were saying there was was much less about that, and more about just having a product team and having someone to to answer the problems that an organization has, and, and actually investigate and do the good top level product thinking that uh, an organization needs to to really really solve the biggest problems that they have. So, do you see it as more being Do you see your mission as more being just promoting good product practice or much more explicitly sort of product-led growth than that freemium stuff that we were just talking about?
1: Yeah, it's it's another good question. And I think it also boils down to definitions of product-led growth. And while um, the kind of the, the default typical definition is this very much, yeah, freemium models, apps kind of, yeah, user engagement, moving people through an onboarding funnel, Yes, that is product-led growth if you were to look it up in a textbook, and that's what other kind of communities and and content sites really focus on. For me, yes, that is an important part of product-led growth within one certain sector. But actually, when I think about product-led growth for me, it's how can a product, how or how can product help an organization grow overall? And so within that Tesco example, it's, well, if those shelf stackers are more efficient, then more stuff will get on the shelves quicker. You use less man hours you know, that's a cost reduction, and that can help to, you know, grow profits and incremental growth. So I see product-led growth as, as kind of a whole lot more. Um, so yes, to answer your question, yes, it's kind of maybe I'm talking a bit more about product best practice or how products make impact, but I still see that if it's helping to drive growth, it's product-led growth.
0: That yep, makes sense. And now if we go back to 2019, when you when you made the decision, well I guess maybe you made it slightly before two thousand and nineteen or you were thinking about it, but there must have been an inflection point where you sat there in your in your previous job, like you say, with your, your passion for, for product and your passion for, for events and communities, and, and there must have been a point where you just said, Yeah, this is this is the, the time, I'm gonna decide, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna make this community, I'm gonna make this organization. What what happened to to, to kick that off?
1: I think um I'm sure we've all felt it when you get to a point in a job where you've got everything you can out of it. And I felt that I'd got to that point at Informa. I'd loved my time there, but I couldn't see up until that point I'd been able to see quite a clear pathway to progression and, and moving forward and the path had kind of disappeared. It's a very big company, constant restructuring, a number of factors just meant yes, I knew I could progress one there, maybe or maybe shift apartments, but actually I felt my time there was done. I looked around the job market for a a similar role and nothing really jumped out at me. And so my kind of feeling was after speaking to some recruiters as well, who kind of put me up for some roles that really didn't entice me. And I thought, oh, well, I've come going into the frying pan, into the fire. I thought, well, why not now? I feel like the cost of the opportunity isn't going to be ever going to be lower, really. um, And speaking like honestly like I don't currently have a family like I don't have dependents so actually if I'm going to do it I do it now or I do it at a time when I'm not just risking like potentially my own life and and lifestyle super glamorous lifestyle but um (laughs) (laughs) I um could be you know in a however many years don't want to give away my age could be risking kind of a lot more than that so it felt like yeah now or never really and I saw that product-led growth was starting to really really take off so it seemed from a market perspective a good time to kind of jump on the bandwagon but then take my slightly different spin on product-led growth and put it into the market at the time when it was starting to get more traction and attention.
0: They ride the wave at the right time. Exactly. Was that just you on your own or did you did you come together with, with other people, other friends, other, other colleagues or, or, or former colleagues? How did that kick off?
1: Yeah so I actually was in touch with a couple of people that I'd worked with at a previous organization like However, uh, many years before, let me try and think, maybe six, seven years before that we'd spoken kind of loose in the past about clubbing together and doing something. Two former colleagues who were keen to join. And so, yeah, we, we set it up. So I kind of lead the content and the vision. And then I have support with marketing and kind of additional content writing and community engagement.
0: So you're building a community of, of like minded, product professionals and and as you say being very inclusive trying to trying to get all different types of people in and 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 grow that out and you obviously offer a lot of free content you've got a lot of free webinars that you've done and you you've got lots of articles and it seems like lots of up and coming stuff planned for this year on the site but at the same time this is your job so how do you monetize the product led alliance what 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 are your premium options that that you offer and how are they going?
1: That's another good question. So, well, that's one of the reasons why I was really hoping to be able to do an event series, because I know events, and I know events that you can make, you can make good money off events if you organize them well. Um, and, you know, make enough money to kind of take it over. Like you say, it's my job. I'm not necessarily in it to make to make millions, but I want to survive. I want to be able to Live My Lifestyle massages every day, you know, <laughs> villa in in three different continents, like that
0: kind of vibe. Um, yeah, the, the, the product, product management dream, I, I get it. Yeah. Exactly.
1: But no, so that was going to be kind of a huge part of the monetization and allowing kind of us to keep content on the site as free as possible. Obviously, that didn't come to pass um, necessarily yet. So a couple of different ways. We ran some virtual events in 2020. We actually ran three we get sponsorship for those. Obviously, it's um, the revenues are not the same as an in-person event, but we also don't have the costs, so it's quite an effective way for us to make money as well as deliver um, deliver on what our sponsors and partners want um, and helps them reach their target audience. Because I know that that was a big challenge for many of our partners in 2020. Second is that PLA Product Led Alliance. Um, for those that aren't familiar with the acronym, have um, we do have a subscription service now? So that was again because of COVID and not being able to utilize events in the way that we would have liked to, to kind of cover all of that. We do put some stuff on the site behind the paywall. The majority of things are free, but some frameworks, some templates, membership content, and then all the video content from every event, every virtual event we've done is behind that paywall as well. So um, it costs $25 a month US, or you can get a package for the year. And then you've got, you do have kind of a really big, content library so it's actually if you break down the cost and think about what the cost of all that content would be if you went to an event or even if you tuned in some virtual events some of which have very high price points it's actually a really good deal so that's how we're keeping the lights
0: on. Uh, Fair enough and um, is is a lot of that content self-created or are you bringing in effectively consultants and other thought leaders and and getting some of their time How, how does that work?
1: So it's, it's a real mix. Some of it comes directly from us, myself, and I have a community manager, and we do lots of research and speak to people. We get some content contributed by guest contributors. Majority of that we won't put behind the paywall because we think if someone's contributed it for free, obviously if someone's contributed content to us, we're not going to then charge for people to access it. That doesn't seem very fair. So, yeah, it's it's kind of a mix. Um, consultants, we I say we avoid like it's a bad thing more because one they often want money or trying to kind of promote their own wares and we really want the content to be from either like us and our research so it's kind of quite neutral or people who are doing the doing
0: absolutely and get get a variety of different uh, voices as you as you've said as well but what are some of the things that you've put out over the last year that that have made you the most proud and and made you feel the best about this decision that you've made to sort of start this up?
1: I would say um, the, the second couple of um, virtual events were really good. The first one was, I, I was going to say thrown together, That's, it was more carefully organised than that, but put together <coughs> um, after realising that we were going to have to bin off the whole 2020 events calendar after half of it had been planned. You know, flights were booked. I was supposed to be on my way to New York, you know, when the, everything got locked down. So the first virtual event was kind of organized without really anticipating the severity of the situation with COVID. So thinking like, oh, this is cute. I'll do a virtual event now. Put some nice content on, give it all away for free. Great. Because, you know, in, in by September, I'll be in San Francisco running um, <laughs> the event. Well, uh, yeah, lol. So that obviously didn't happen. So put the first one together, not considering that virtual events would be kind of the main source of income potentially for the for the rest of the year and potentially the first I'm staying optimistic, it would just be the first half of um twenty twenty one. This so that one was was good, but I still felt it was it was a bit rushed, a bit panicked, and like I said, it it wasn't as well curated as I would have liked it to be. By the time we rolled around to the second virtual event, the Product Led Festival, that was great. But actually it was the the one we did most recently in December, the, the CPO summit that made me feel the most proud, I think, and, and happy because that was something, again, I kind of noticed that there's like a million and one product manager events. Um, you know, there's a million and one fantastic product manager events. Um, you know, I tune into loads of different content and, and virtual sessions that have taken place over the last like year and obviously beforehand. But I noticed there wasn't really anything specific for those in kind of more senior product roles, whether you're a CPO or a VP. And it was just one of those things that I kind of noticed and thought, well, you know, why don't I throw, throw together a, a virtual event on this? I'd kind of had a thought to do an in-person event in 2020 anyway. Um, wanted to do one in the US and potentially one in London. Had kind of semi-laid out the plans for them before COVID. So I thought, well, why not do it in, in, a, in a virtual setting? What's, what's the harm? And actually, the traction we got, the discussions that were had were just absolutely fantastic. I've, the, the feedback, I still get good feedback today of people saying like, I took so much from this event. It really opened my eyes to a lot of different things. There was a diff- really good, unique range of industries and the topics are really on point. So I think that was a thing that was also kind of the end of the year. It really culminated the year well.
0: Yeah. Sadly no after party though. But you know, maybe this year.
1: No. Well actually it was that was the day before we went into the second tier four, I think, in London or one of the, the lockdowns, basically the day before the pub shut, So we did have an after party the next day. Just for the staff, huh. and it got out of hand. I'm still recovering, I think.
0: <laughs> there, that happens. And what are some of your ambitions for the uh, the organisation in 2021 after we get out of the current lockdown situation? And everyone gets vaccinated. What's what's next?
1: So events. We will hopefully be back on the road doing events. That's number one. As soon as we're allowed out on planes, in. In rooms with more than six people. That's top of the agenda. Um, We've got a podcast coming out in the next couple of weeks as well.
0: Um, How dare you? I'm
1: really sorry. Don't worry. It won't be nearly as good as this one. (laughs) um, It's called For the Love of Product. And what we tried to do to kind of position it slightly differently is each session will either interview a CPO or a VP of product or a founder. And it's kind of looking at either the head or the heart of the product. So the passion, the creation, the invention, and then that process of how. Do you go as a founder to hand your product over to a to a product team, to a, to someone, um, I use the analogy quite often, giving your baby over to a nanny as you have to go and kind of become CEO or, or change your role in the company. And then we look at it from the other side, those who are in a senior product position and how they lead product. And so it's kind of got a bit more of a leadership stance.
0: That uh, sounds good. I'll, I'll I'll give it a listen and uh, and try and take some notes. But yeah, I've always seen it as as almost like trying to pull a sword from the stone. Sometimes trying to get the uh, get the product out of the founder's hands. But you know, maybe, maybe maybe you'll get some good advice from some of these people about the way they have made the transition.
1: Well, Jason, that was very well volunteered to be one of our guests. Thank you. Oh, brilliant! Well, I am a knight, so yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: um, and on LinkedIn, you you say you're highly ambitious. So, what are your ambitions for the product-led alliance in 2021 and beyond?
1: Good question. I um, I definitely remember writing that on my LinkedIn um, <laughs> very recently. Yes. Um, no. To be honest, I want it to be the go-to resource for people who want to learn about product-led growth by my definition. I want it to be an inclusive kind of industry-agnostic resource. I want people to. Refer to it like they do maybe like product school, um, or my other product. It's, it's well known. People see it as kind of a really great, unbiased content led resource where for free, you can get kind of a whole host of different articles and, and inspirations and interviews and podcasts. Um, or you can go a bit further and, and pay and get a little bit more. Um, but I just really want it to be that, that place that people look to, that they recommend to their friends that they, that, that gives you valuable takeaways that help improve you at your job or helps your business to grow I know that sounds really cheesy but I'm a bit cheesy as well as being highly ambitious
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a really good ambition and I guess one of the measures of success will be if someone one of your alumni takes the next unicorn to superstar status or something like that but you know step by step exactly (laughs) so obviously you said yourself that you that you got to the end of the road when it came to product management at the time but you've obviously got some experience in in that world and and having met and dealt with and collaborated with so many great people over the last couple of years what advice would you have for an aspiring product manager
1: i would say be customer driven but data inspired i think it's there's Lots of content everywhere saying you've got to be customer first. You've got to be customer first. And then you'll read another article that says data is king. Everything everything revolves around the data. I think that, um, and it probably sounds obvious, but I think sometimes people focus on one. A lot or get really preoccupied depending on what kind of organization you are in, who your manager is. Yeah, there's a lot of things that can impact your opinion and what you focus on. And I think it's really important to keep in mind always that yes, data can inform uh, and educate, but you really need to be listening to your customers, and you need to blend those two to to be kind of the, the best product manager you can be.
0: That sounds fair, and I think that there's lots of cliches around, you know, the 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 Venn diagram, business, UX, and tech, and you're there in the middle. You know, you are here, and all that stuff. But I do think that there's a a, a real strong there's a real strong message there. It's like yeah, you you have to have balance to be a good and effective product manager. You can't over-index in any direction, so completely agree with that. But we're going to go one step further now, um, and imagine that after all of this lockdown stuff finishes off and we can all go and see people, maybe even in, in other countries at are uh, event after parties, although actually this question won't be very good for an event after party because that will be full of product managers. But imagine in the after after party <laughs> when you... Um, speak to someone uh, at some dingy nightclub in new york or san francisco they ask you what do you do so you say to them yeah you know I, i'm founder of the product alliance and, Oh, what's that and so it's, a, it's a, an organization for product managers and, and they say what's a product manager how do you apply
1: oh that is a really good question um and i've asked people this in interviews before how do you screen product management to a five-year-old and now um I'm kicking myself for not having like a really good prepared answer myself to put out my sleeve. But I'd say to a five-year-old, whereas it's someone, if it's someone at an after party, you've got a bit more leeway. I would, I would say that someone who is responsible for the ideation, design, development, and am I using too many product words? I was going to say, and go to market strategy of a product. Um... Someone responsible for, and this could be whether it's physical or virtual, conceiving, creating and delivering a product and getting it to the right people at the right time in the right way.
0: Excellent. I hope all of the five-year-olds of, uh, of the world are inspired uh, to, <laughs> yeah. to get into the industry. <laughs> <laughs> and where can people catch up with you if they want to speak more about product-led growth in any of the definitions or continue the discussion with you about product
1: so you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, my name is Heather James. If you put in Heather James Product-Led Alliance into LinkedIn, I should come up. If not, my identity has been stolen. I've got a purple background to my photo. Um, <laughs> we also have a Slack channel, um, which is probably one of the best ways to find me. You can find that if you go to the Product-Led Alliance website, which is literally productledalliance.com, no dashes or anything else. There is, I was about to say no dots. There is one dot at dot com. Um, <laughs> then um, from there, you can navigate to our Slack channel, um, where you can meet not only me, you can search for me and my name in there, but also over 2000 other passionate product people. So those are two of the best ways. Or you can email me, heather at productledalliance.com.
0: Excellent. Well, thanks very much for coming on and and sharing some of your experiences and and obviously really support the the goals of of the Product-Led Alliance and, and obviously hope to see much much more many more things coming out of that in in 2021 but for now uh, as always let's keep in touch and uh, thanks very much for spending the time
1: thank you so much for having me on the podcast and letting me talk about myself and the product alliance
0: thanks for listening now it's all good fun talking about other podcasts but you almost certainly haven't listened to my other 28 episodes yet so before you have permission to cheat on me why not try some more inspiring conversations with passionate product people you know what to do. Subscribe in a podcast app of your choice. Tell all your friends. Thanks, and good night.